0: Last time, we were discussing this formula for for Paticca Samupada, dependent origination. And we saw that this... We take this formula of dependent origination in reverse order. This was the sequence in which the Bodhisattva, the future Buddha himself, discovered it. The immediate problem that he faced was the problem of aging and death. That's the epitome, the high point of human suffering, that we grow old and die. Then he inquired, why is it that we grow old and die? Why do we experience all of these different types of suffering? And then the answer he came up with was, because we are born, because there is birth. Then he asked, why birth meaning conception in the womb, the first moment, the springing up of a new life? Then he asked, why does conception take place? The answer to this took him back to an earlier life, where he found that conception takes place because of bhava, becoming. Because we engage in various activities, karmic activities, which build up accumulations of karma within the stream of mind, mind stream. <laughs> and it's this constant activity, this volitional activity, straining and striving for this, performing these deeds or those deeds. These actions impregnate the mind stream in such a way as to direct it to a particular realm of existence a particular realm of being either the sensuous realm, the Kama Loka or the realm of fine matter, that's the Rupa Loka or the formless immaterial realm, the Arupa Loka Okay, then the Buddha, the Bodhisattva asks Why do we engage in these various activities which fling us into new becoming? We engage in them because of this deep-rooted clinging or holding to the five aggregates. Holding to it with thirst and desire. Holding to it with wrong views, mistaken views. Okay, then why do we cling to the five aggregates? Why do we grasp them and hold to them tightly? Because we have craving. Craving for sensual pleasures, craving to go on existing, to go on becoming more and more. Or else, in a few cases, those who have some kind of disgust or aversion to existence, there comes this viva, the, kind of, the craving for extermination or annihilation. <coughs> and as, <coughs> 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 as I said last week, if we really want to take like a very direct or concise treatment of dependent origination, then we can just go from craving all the ways back to Straight to ignorance. And the reason why we have this craving to go on enjoying, to go on ex- ex- existing, is because we don't understand things as they, <coughs> as they really are. And that not understanding, that blindness, that lack of insight, that is ignorance. So in this way, ignorance, we could say, is a direct condition, the nutriment or supporting condition for craving. But in the actual formula that has come down to us in the text, the Buddha takes a somewhat different approach in order to show how craving arises in regard to our actual sense experience. And so he does this by inquiring into uh, pointing out another condition for craving. This is Vedana or feeling. Pleasant feeling, painful feeling, neutral feeling. And what actually happens, this is a little, when you say, feeling is the condition for craving, this could lead to a misunderstanding as somebody thinks that, might think that <coughs> simply because we have feelings, Therefore we crave. And then they might even argue, okay, an arahant has feelings too. The Buddha says the enlightened one, the liberated one, experiences pleasure, experiences pain, experiences neutral feeling. So if feeling is really a decisive condition for craving, then one could argue even the arhat has craving. And since one goes on experiencing feeling, even as an Arhant right until the time of death, then one could argue that liberation is impossible. One can never be free from craving. And so there can't be any liberated (laughs) Arhant. But in fact, what makes feeling a condition for craving is not feeling itself. Because feeling occurs to anyone, from an insect to a Samasambhuta. Mm
1: -hmm. But what
0: makes feeling a condition for craving in all the unenlightened beings is because feeling is, you could say, it's covered up or enveloped in ignorance, not understanding the real nature of feeling. So when one doesn't see feeling as it is, doesn't understand it as just an impermanent, impersonal event, something dependent on conditions, then one becomes swept away by feelings, sort of. One is captivated by them. We say one is deceived by them, beguiled by them. So one is captivated by the pleasant feeling and goes pursuing pleasure in the thought with the idea that this will bring the final and ultimate satisfaction the enjoyment of pleasant feelings when one experiences painful feeling then one seeks to escape from it by indulging in pleasure by seeking pleasure and when one experiences this dull neutral feeling or when one experiences a neutral feeling, then one just settles into the state of dull diluted equanimity, this dull apathy or indifference. Okay, so in that way feeling is the underlying condition for feeling, we could say enveloped by ignorance, or feeling permeated by ignorance, is the supporting condition for craving. Then the Buddha asks, why does feeling arise? Feeling arises because there is contact, contact of the sentient organism with the six types of sense objects. Why is there contact? There's contact because there is, there are these six sense spaces. Why do we have the six sense spaces? Because there is Nama Rupa, here I translate name and form. Okay, I'll just go all the way back, okay. Why is there a name and form? Because there is consciousness. Okay, now, what is meant here by name and form? First, form, this is the physical organism of body, you can say, which is made up of the four great elements and the various types of secondary matter. And what is called Nama, here I translate it literally as name, but it doesn't really mean a person's name, like quote Bhikkhu Bodhi or Dr. Magalmada. But the Buddha just took over this expression that really goes back to the period of the Upanishads, maybe the Brahmanas, ancient Indian scriptures. It's just seemed to be a philosophical term in current usage. And he took over Nama Rupa and he gave a special meaning to Nama, not as name in the sense of a designation. But it's really those mental functions which operate to, which have the purpose of bringing about the conception of a world, the experiencing of a world. Those mental functions which sort of order, arrange, organize the world into a, let's say, into an intelligible whole which are responsible for the organization of the world into an intelligible whole. And he singled out five factors, five mental factors as nama. That is contact, which is really the condition for all the other higher mental functions, all the other mental functions. Contact, feeling, First. perception, volition, chaytana, and attention, manasikara. (laughs) The first mental function or mental faculty and nama is contact. We contact, we contact the Lord. Then through contact there arises feeling by which we experience the world in certain ways as being pleasant, painful, neutral. Then there's perception by which we sort of selectively take note of the distinguishing characteristics of things. Then we turn to the world in certain ways, invert to it, that is attention. We, certain things captive, capture our attention, other things don't. That is Manasikara. And then we act. We leave our impression on the world through our action. That is volition, chetan. So these are the five...
1: Excuse me? The difference between Manasikara and Sankara,
0: yes. sankara is actually closest to chetana, to intention rather than attention. Sankara is a term in relation to the kundas. It's used to cover all the mental functions apart from feeling, perception, feeling and perception. In Namna, the Buddha doesn't use the word Sankara, but we can understand that these other mental factors are Sankaras. And so the commentaries explain that nama are the of the aggregates of feeling, perception, and the samkhara. And it's rather strange to understand how nama rupa can be the condition for the six sense bases if we just think of ourselves as we ordinarily go about functioning in the world. But the way this is understood, at least the way it's explained by the commentaries, and I would agree with this, Is that Nama Rupa really refers here primarily, though not exclusively, to the beginning of sentient life, in the case of a human existence, beginning in the mother's womb. You could say it's the formative process of the embryo as the body, the form, starts to grow and to take shape and as these various mental functions mental factors start to operate, even during the stage of gestation in the womb. Then, it's as this body starts to grow and mature in the womb that, you know, first we have the one cell, the fertilized well ova, it's called I think the zygote, is that the word? The fertilized ova then that divides, starts to divide over and over, takes shape, this is rupa coming into being, and all the time there's some mental activity that's nama, and as the uh, embryo goes on dividing at a particular point within its development, there come five branches come out, does that, does that happen? Those are the four limbs and the head become manifest, and then those limbs develop into, then I guess the different organs of sense take shape, eye, as the embryo develops, eye, ear, nose, tongue, and then of course the body is always sensitive. And then all of these are conditioned also for the five, that's the way the five physical sense faces emerge, and then also As the organism develops, then mental activity begins to emerge, that is the mana the sixth base. In modern terms we would say it it comes with the development of the brain, but actually even the most, according to the Buddhist texts, Even the most elementary mental functions like feeling, some perception, even some volition, Shaitana, will probably even be there in the very earliest stage, maybe in the zygote. And in that very, very earliest stage, even before the brain begins to emerge as a distinct organ. Of course, as the brain takes shape, then the mental uh, processes will tend to occur based upon the brain rather than any other part of the body. So I think some mental functioning will be occurring even before the brain appears.
2: They are not always developed in the same time. We see that in birth, that the baby is blind. Yeah. You can't hear much the vibration. But what is very strongly developed that reminds me of an experience I had when I went to a tunnel of caves for many hours in the mountain in Switzerland when I came out. The first time in my life I saw what the nose. I was smelling the world. And this smelling is very important in the life in of the, in the lady really, because he must find the milk and he doesn't find it with the eye, he doesn't find it with the ear not with his touch, he finds it with his nose. So here, uh, hopefully, there are several kinds of yeah, yeah. stages yeah. of the lockdown. Yeah, very
0: Okay, so this is Nama Rupa now, which is conditioning the six sense spaces. And now, for all of this to occur, or even the process of gestation to begin, there has to be some input of consciousness, vinyana. That is really the, like the electric current of existence is consciousness. If you don't have consciousness, it's like having the tape player when there's an electric blackout. You have the machine, but. No power, no music, no tape recording goes on. So there has to be this input of consciousness. In fact, it's consciousness, all the other mental factor, factors, perception, feeling, contact, all of them presuppose consciousness. Without consciousness, no mental activity. Without consciousness, we can't even say there's rupa, in the sense of a body. There's just rupa like a microphone, like a cup of water, just insentient dead matter. But for there to be nama rupa, a combined, a functioning organism made up of mental activity and body, there has to be this input of consciousness. And throughout life we can see this constant interplay or mutual dependency of consciousness and nama-rupa. That's why the Buddhist texts compare consciousness and nama-rupa to two stacks of hay which are supporting each other. If you pull out one, the other collapses. If you pull out the other, the first collapses. The two cannot stand upright without both being present. So let us see, in life we have, in fact the Buddha says, it's not just a simple relationship of consciousness conditioning nama rupa, but in some suttas he says, nama rupa conditions consciousness. So we have How is consciousness a condition for nama rupa? The way I just explained. It is when consciousness comes in at the moment of conception that the actual conception takes place. It's when consciousness arises that the egg and the the sperm and the egg which have united initiate a new life. They turn into a combined and turn into these items. And so through consciousness there comes nama as the mental activity and rupa as the bodily process. And then also we have nama rupa conditioning consciousness. How so? Can we have any consciousness Without the physical body, without an eye, ear, nose, tongue, physical body with the brain and all the vital activity, can there be consciousness? You might say, well, when you're asleep, there's no turning of consciousness to outer objects, but still the sleep is occurring in dependence on the body. Even somebody in deep arupa jhana in the human world, still that arupa jhana is based on the physical body. In the arupa planes of existence, there's no rupa. There is nama alone. There is nama and vijnana alone. But now we don't. We're not. We don't have to be concerned with them. That's too far away. <laughs> Just in the human realm, always vijnana, consciousness arises based on the body. And also for consciousness to occur, it needs not only the body, but it's always accompanied by some feeling, some perception, some attention, and some volitional activity. So in this way, consciousness depends also on nama rupa. So if we wanted, then we could just cut the chain of dependent origination at this mutual conditioning relationship of consciousness and name and form. Just say, name and form is conditioned by consciousness, consciousness is conditioned by name and form, and that's it. One doesn't have to go any further. And there are some suttas which Treat it in that way. Restrict dependent origination in that way. But that is
2: very difficult. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. But now the Buddha, in the usual formulation, he has two other factors, because he raises the question, why does consciousness spring up? In the womb. Why does this life process originate? In a way this is almost the same condition, the same question as he asked earlier in relation to why does birth occur, but here it approaches from a different angle. Okay, why does consciousness arise? And here he says it arises conditioned by something called Sankara. The word Sankara, it comes from the root or stem, karoti, which means to act, to do, to make, and the prefix sun means together. So Sankara is, it has two aspects. It is the act of putting together, of making, of constructing. And it is also that which is made, that which is put together, that which is constructed. In the formula of dependent origination, as understood in the first sense, the activity which puts together, which constructs a living organism that activity is the activity which we call karma, karma, In other words, this is our wholesome and unwholesome volitional
1: activities.
0: And it is these volitional activities of the preceding life which function as the driving force, the inner dynam- dynamism which propels the stream of consciousness into a new existence, and which is responsible for the implanting of consciousness, the seed of consciousness, into a new realm of existence, into a new form of being. So in other words, it is our own volitional activity, the wholesome and unwholesome activity which builds up, which puts together, which constructs first our own psychophysical organism, our own body and mind in this life, and which also indirectly constructs the world in which we live. Or we can call the counterpart of our psychophysical organism, the external mirror of our karma. The reason why, not only why we acquire this particular body and mind with its different capabilities, dispositions, inclinations, not only this but also why we are, you could say, embedded in a particular world is because of our previous karmic activity. And the important thing about our world is that the situations we find ourselves in, from conception through right up to the present, in a sense, mirror, reflect our previous karma. Not exclusively in a mechanical way, since present action also affects how the karma matures. But the force which puts us into a particular world and which sort of drives us through the, drives us along the roadway of life, turning this way, left here or right there, is past karma. At least it's the gasoline, but... <laughs> Maybe our <laughs> present decisions are like the steering of the wheel. <laughs> okay, when it is said that Sankara we call this volitional formations. That the volitional formations are the condition for consciousness, one shouldn't get the idea that somehow Volitional activities are occurring on their own in the previous life, and that consciousness springs up for the first time with this life, (laughs) so that would also mean that in the previous life there was no consciousness, so how could there be volitional activity without consciousness? But rather, consciousness is present all along. In the formula consciousness, which is conditioned by Sankara, that's primarily the first moment of consciousness in the new existence, and that continuing stream of consciousness in that new existence. But at the same time that the volitional activities are occurring, they are also accompanied by consciousness. And so in a way we could say, on the one hand, that we could use different metaphors, That consciousness is the ongoing stream of experience, the river of experience, in which all of dependent origination is occurring. Or to change the metaphor a little bit, we could say it is like an envelope or a globe within which all of dependent origination is occurring. And so, for this reason, we should understand that when the sankharas, the volitional activities, are conditioning consciousness, they're not only conditioning the consciousness that's going to arise in the next existence, but they are also conditioning the consciousness coexistent with themselves, the consciousness that goes along with themselves. So as, for example, I'm speaking here, Hopefully it's on Dhamma, so hopefully it's both wholesome volitional activity. But my acts of speaking on Dhamma, thinking about the Dhamma, reflecting what I'm going to say, that's constantly conditioning my present consciousness. It is continually, you could even say, impregnating my consciousness, depositing seeds within my present consciousness. So this consciousness goes along flowing on and on and then what happens when death takes place is that particular sankharas sort of, I imagine that they struggle with each other for supremacy to see which is more powerful, which which is going to take on the role of generating the river consciousness. Maybe it's a little bit, well, we could use an analogy actually, which maybe actually, not so much in the analogy, but simply a counterpart of what takes place on the physical plane, compared to what, compar- the counterpart on the physical plane of what is taking place on the psychic or mental plane. Now when the process of impregnation takes place, or when the male is to impregnate the female, then I think millions of sperms are released and seek to reach the egg, the ovum. And there is a constant struggle. I think many of those, maybe millions of those millions, even get destroyed immediately within the, um, within the vagina coming up to the, to the womb. Then when they reach the womb, there's only a few which make it up there. And then they're in a struggle to see which one is sort of more powerful, which one can penetrate the ovum. And then when one does this, it becomes the one which generates birth. And the other sperms are finished. They do nothing. They die away. In a way, it's different with with the psychic realm. It's similar in that... All of these, when a person is dying, all of these karmas that they've done in this life, even some from earlier existences, come up at some very deep level, not that they're all consciously entertained, but they're all struggling, fighting with each other, competing, to see which one is going to take on the role of generating rebirth. Then when one of them gets supremacy, depending upon its potency, depending upon a whole complex of factors, that one alone generates the rebirth consciousness. And when that does so, the others don't take on that role, and can not take on that role. But unlike the sperms, which just fade away, these other karmas still have their power, still have their ability to produce results, but not to produce the form of rebirth. They only produce results in the course of life, results like good fortune, um, meeting with success in one's activities, um, acquiring wealth at a certain time, or else unfortunate results, meeting with failure, ill health, poverty, and so on. Okay, so all of this volitional activity is taking place within consciousness. And then the Buddha raised still another question. Why is all of this volitional activity taking place? Which is, why is there this constant activity engaging in wholesome and unwholesome activities which is propelling on the round of rebirth. And when he raised the question from this angle, he could have said tanha or craving, that it would have been correct. But now we just wanted to show it from a different angle, and so he said, the reason why one engages in this activity is because of not understanding the nature of existence. This is ignorance or agglity. So because we do not understand things as they really are, (coughs) which means not just not understanding things intellectually but not seeing and knowing and fully realizing the four noble truths one engages and those who are just really heavily sunk in the darkness of ignorance, they engage in the, unwh- or they tend to engage in the unwholesome activity and they generate bad karmic, bad volitional um, formations leading to a bad rebirth, into suffering, heavy suffering and misery. Those who have lighter minds, brighter minds, less dense ignorance, but still who have craving for existence, for craving for sense pleasures, who have wrong views. Wrong views of a good kind, well there's no good wrong view, but wrong views which we could say are on the bright side. They Mm -hmm. will indulge in virtuous good activities which will lead to accumulations of good karma, and which will lead them to pleasant states of rebirth. For example, say Christians and Muslims, they have a view of creation by an Almighty God. That's a wrong view from the standpoint of the highest Dhamma. But they believe that there's, retribu- that, that there's retribution for one's actions, that, one will, that one's good and bad actions will bring results in some future life. And so they tend to shun, or at least they should shun, bad actions and engage in good actions. At least they try to practice charity, some degree of renunciation, kindness towards others. Um, even in Christianity, some meditation on love for others, compassion, forgiveness. And so that would be wholesome actions leading to a good rebirth. Then some, like the Vedantins, one of the schools of Hinduism with the highest philosophy, they believe in a kind of impersonal, universal Atman or Self, which can be reached through deep meditation. And so they undertake very austere meditative practices and they gain states which seem to correspond closely to the jhanas and even the arupa attainment. and so because of that they will be or can be reborn in the brahma worlds and in the arupa realms. but because they don't see and understand the four the truths they don't have the knowledge which will break right through the darkness of ignorance. And so they still go on in the realm of rebirth, but in pleasant realms of existence. Until that karma wears off and then they come back to the human realm and then maybe can be reborn in lower Okay, so then just now to take it just back into forward order, because of this ignorance, not understanding things as they really are, beings engage in various wholesome and unwholesome volitional activities. Then those volitional activities determine their form of rebirth, that is, they direct consciousness into a new existence. When consciousness arises even at the moment of conception, it brings along or occurs along with a physical organism, just the oneself. That's the beginning of Rupa. And then when consciousness is ended, then there starts mental activity that's Nama. As the organism and consciousness pleasant, painful, neutral feelings. In response to those feelings, the person exp- the person undergoes craving, begins craving, craving for a continuation, intensification of pleasure, craving to avoid pain, craving just to sink into this dull, neutral, quiescent. Through craving, the being clings to these five aggregates, enjoying them, delighting in them, forming long views about them. Through this clinging to the aggregates, the person engages in more activity, more volitional activity. That's becoming. That volitional activity brings new birth and then through that mover, more aging and death. Uh, and that's the way the whole wheel of samsara turns. It would
2: be useful to have great pictures, to memorize the same picture. you want to describe pictures? Yeah, I can describe the picture. We make ourselves a picture of a blind old woman with a stick who doesn't know where to go. Some karma, which should be understood after the body explained in connection with the Patishas of a father, should be understood as karmic formation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a doctor who makes a and breaks a doctor, makes a potter, breaks. Which is a condition for
0: the monk. Yeah.
2: Jumping from one to another branch. Eh? Cannot let go, not fall down. Eh? But this is nature, the form of image and so on. Based upon this, we can imagine the Nama the, Rupa the as a boat who rowing, to simplify Based upon these, Nama as a boat with two rowings, we have the house with six windows. The empty house, yeah. The empty house with six windows. And this house with six windows, through these six windows, we get that sense-impression contact. And this sense impression, this contact, is like a couple on a bench touching each other. Based upon this picture of this contact, touching, we better get a little strong picture about what is happening now, because now the problem starts at his field. A wonderful picture of feeling is to have the eye as a target and in the middle of the eye an arrow and a tear, bloody fear, coming back Because that is in fact the tragedy, the pathological side of the whole existence we Based upon this picture, we have a fellow sitting on a table with bottles and bottles, drinking and Putting down the bottle and drinking and putting down thirsty, 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 thamna. Based upon his thamna, there is a man who is trying to pluck down a mango from the tree. That is Upadana. You can stretch him, he is plucking the mango. Based upon this upadana, his Upadana, is Becoming We just see a nice lady in the ninth month, 8 months, 9 months no? It is a beautiful picture of becoming Then verse the using picture for the. So these pictures, especially the the pictures of, of the blind woman Vidya probably is female in some sense so, yeah. yeah. and so not because of it. <laughs> and the potter, makes a potter, makes a potter. and then the monk. these are coming from behind steadily are in the neck they are coming from behind and as you see the karmic formation takes a central point to mm-hmm. But karmic formation probably, that sankara is only properly uh, translated in karmic formation connection with the patichasambhade, uh, not everywhere because uh, sankara has so many meanings that we are uh, uh, taking another three weeks to sit here to explain <laughs> draw the picture at all, do it yourself, draw it. Then you put past, present, and (laughs) your
0: Baby's mind,
1: pure.
0: Uh, from the Buddha's point of view, we would mind not, it's not the baby's mind. Yeah, but the Buddha says actually in one sutta, it's in the six, Machi number 64, that Say with the baby doesn't have an idea of sense pleasures. What is sense pleasures? The baby has no idea, but still the Buddha says the craving, the tendency towards That is so. yeah, yeah, yeah. And without lust they
2: can't find the meat, no? No, Not only that is all the way. Yeah, so the, all of
0: those departments are still in the baby, yeah. No,
2: that is really <laughs> so That's actually so yeah.
0: The character is already I think they've even found read this recently, I think it was in the world of science, Color. they found, or could it be in like a time magazine
1: or something? They
0: found that they can tell to some extent even the character of the baby, right? From even when it's within the womb, they can tell which babies will be sort of, yeah, will be sort of adventuresome and daring, which baby, active, which babies will tend to be passive and submissive based on the degree of activity in the womb. So already the character is already taking form, or becoming a parent in that pre characteristics Yeah, I would say perhaps, I mean to the extent that the characteristics are genetically conditioned, but I would say is that mm. the reason why the, this person has acquired such a genetic apparatus is because it's needed to act as the physical basis, physical vehicle for those mental characteristics to become manifest. mind. goes
2: first. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yes,
2: but the process is anyamanya, not in every condition also.
0: To a certain degree, but I would say that the reason why that particular genetic endowment or that particular genetic uh, structure is acquired is because to provide the physical vehicle for the mental characteristics to become. the Genetic, it comes
1: from the parents. The parents. Genetic characteristics come from the parents. Yeah, they come from the parents. Yeah. So as to have those genetic factors in the new organism. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's why the new uh, new being to be reborn will be reborn of those particular parents who provide the genetic Mm -hmm. material.
2: The frequency of the Kamma probably short make the choice of the parents. Frequency? When you see that Kamma, there is the Sakti of the Kamatanna, Bhavatanna, Ribhavatanna which is common to all, but he finds his own, that kama, yeah. which is a special frequency, a individual frequency. Mm. And that particular frequency probably is responsible for the choosing of yeah. their yeah,
0: as a frequency in the sense of yeah. radio.
2: radio frequency. So there is a response from out, that yeah. uh, mm-hmm. television and television comes there. Uh, Consciousness, which is the cause of Nama Rupa, can this transform or change into body?
0: Can the consciousness change into the body? Yes, can
1: the consciousness become a part of the, of the body, of Rupa? Because it's it, it, the cause of Nama Rupa.
0: Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: So, is it possible that there is.
0: No, I don't think the vinyana can transform into consciousness, that like the consciousness can transform into the body.
1: Because it's the
0: saying um, when you are always friends, uh, always you get time to become you become very beautiful. Oh, I see, you see, I see, I see. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, now I understand it. That doesn't mean that consciousness changes into the body. It means that consciousness sort of affects the body. Yeah, so that the body will, in a way, be expressive of the mental state, definitely so, No, that's definitely so. No, you could say, I mean, it's so like somebody who's always... which
1: is the, which, which is the, the, the nama rupa is consciousness.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely it's, it's so, but, but it's not, wait, that's not true. It's not true that vijnana is the only cause or only condition for nama rupa. Many conditions. For example, the physical body is conditioned by, and also the mind, by food, by ahara, by nutriment. So in order for the body to grow, to um, mature, and to survive, it needs the um, the nutriment, the food. (laughs)
2: Environment is very important environment environment
0: air water and then of course the quality of the environment all of that is conditioning the rupa but also the vijnana the, quali- the quality of the consciousness that conditions it too so that um, say somebody with a heavy with, ma- with a mind that is always worried always anxious they'll have it to Transmits those qualities to the face, so you could see lines, worried expression, um, wrinkles, and so on. Somebody who's happy, bright, happy and cheerful, will have bright, shiny features, smiling features. Somebody who's angry and aggressive, you just look at the person's face. You never met them before, never spoke, but when you see, you know. And that way, there's a yeah. But the consciousness doesn't turn into rupa, it just it imparts its own qualities to the rupa. Any other, any other questions? Can
1: yeah. I take a question? Yes, this question? The discipline is about the above the time. The above the time. And you can get a clear example. And I never can uh, see. But, uh, Tequila Matta
0: Yoga can be an example of people so, yeah, because they have a tendency to annihilate the body form yeah. to get out of the uh, I yoga. say there's a tendency for Auto Tequila Matta Yoga to go together with the Vipassana. I would say that, that is so, so... I don't know like texts which actually explain that
1: um, uh, this, uh, this yeah.
0: Cause one could also connect the Attakila Mata Yoga with Bhagavatam, in that the person might be tormenting his physical body with the idea that he wants to release the soul or the spirit so that it will merge with the universal spirit or will go on to uh, heavenly. <laughs>
1: I would say it's definitely above it on that. Yeah,
0: I say the it. It's more above it on that. the desire to go on with continue. Because they, yeah. just people after
1: they become a they
0: don't believe in nirvana, nirvana. but they want to get out from the communist system or totalitarian. Yeah, I would say that the other two not the ones can go with either. Um, depending upon the view of the practitioner, strangely. Some of the yogis who even believed in annihilation at death, in fact usually in the text they're depicted not as sensualists who just enjoy purely sense pleasure, but as the austere ascetics who practice the self-mortification. Even though it seems that if we're going to be extinguished anyway at death, there's no reason for them. self-mortification. But they do it anyway. Yes, I am not sure, but this is regarded as the highest practice for the chain is to go on a complete, interminable fast until one starts together. So, uh, the body's
1: words and the body terms. Yeah. These part of the 25 are very profound. Have and have tools and head and republics. <laughs> they have been very hard to render it, actual into English, in a language. They have observed, the that, we make the, other, the other terms, the technological terms, the study, with a little grasp, the of the message, the Buddha says very clearly that there are four, four fundamentals. Yes. They are basically Chitta, Jainasika, yes. 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 Rupa and Limpa. Yes. Now, if you uh, take Sankara, yes. the, last, the exact name of the word Sankara, yes. if he the technique of chitta, damidamma, is
0: conscious eventually. And these two chaytasikas. The chaytasikas can actually approximate the sankara. Actually the chaytasikas include more than the sankaras. The chaytasikas include feeling, perception, and well, according to the Abhidhamma system, there are 52 Chaitasikas, 52 mental factors. Then of those 52, one is vedana, feeling; one is perception, Sangha. And then the other <coughs> f- the other 50 Chaitasikas are put in the Sankara formula. But here I'm using Sankara in the formula for dependent origination. It's not completely identical with Sankara as the kanda. Sankara as the kanda has a wider range, includes many other mental factors, whereas Sankara as in Patisha Sambhupada means just volition, just Chaitana, volitional activity. Karma Argent formation. Karma
2: formation. formation. which is not necessarily in other, other translation of Sankara.
0: Yeah. Then the kandhas, the Sankara kanda, can have a broader range, meaning all the mental like, mental factors except perception, the feeling, perception, and consciousness. Okay, any, any more questions? Okay, then I think we will conclude for this evening. There's still more to say about this.
1: Oh, yeah. We continue. Yeah. Okay.